Today's Access Utah episode was first broadcast in April. Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. Patty Raymond was born with the ability to communicate with animals. She's helped thousands of people resolve many types of behavior, health, attitude, and relationship issues with their animal companions. Her book, Humans Think, Animals Feel, Finding Common Ground Between You and Your Animal Companions, is an exploration of the human-based bond. And uh, Patty Raymond has worked as an animal communicator for more than 15 years. She's been featured on TV, has hosted an internet radio program. She has clients worldwide and has worked with many types of animals, including birds, reptiles, farm animals, show dogs, and competitive sport horses. In addition to doing home visits and phone readings, she does fundraising events for animal rescue organizations, and she teaches animal communication classes through lifelong learning at University of Utah, as well as uh, private uh, classes. Uh, Patty Raymond, welcome back to Access Utah. Thanks for having me, Tom. Appreciate you uh, being on. It's a memorable, uh, I think it was... 2018. It's well, but it's been a while. It's good to have you back. A couple of years, yeah. Yeah, um, and we had a lot of response. A lot of listeners uh, called in with their animal questions. This time around, even more special. Uh, you do uh, psychic readings, and uh, what you need is photographs, right? And so we did prepare ahead of time to uh, to do that, and so we've got uh, some of those prepped uh, for. I think we have about three of those uh, throughout the hour. So we're we'll looking forward to that. So uh, Patty Raymond. Before we get to, I'm sure questions will be coming in, and we'll do those readings uh, as well. Um, I, I want to refresh listeners' memory. You you have a fascinating story. You were born with the community, to, uh, the ability to communicate with animals. When did you first realize that? I didn't know other people didn't do it until I was about 10. I uh, thought everybody talk to people in words, and they talk to animals in mental pictures. And I was surprised that other people didn't know that. So animal communication was really probably my first language. Hmm. Yeah, you, you, you thought other people did this as a matter of course, right? When, when did you realize yeah, uh, I, that, no, other people don't? You know, um, when I would tell people, oh, your dog said this, or your cat wants that, and they would look at me like I had three heads. Hmm. You know, so I got a lot of pushback as a kid, and I didn't share it with people. I just kept it to myself, and it was something that, you know, I shared with the animals. I was kind of an antisocial kid, and animals were my best friends. So I just learned how to share my mental images with them and understand their mental images. Animals think in pictures, they don't think in words. Mm. But they're also very emotional, and it's kind of like watching a mental movie. You know, I can show them my movie, and I can see their movie, and we can exchange information that way. So I guess it would be inevitable that you would uh, establish a career or, you know, do this as your life wor- life's work, working with animals. Not necessarily. Mm. Um, it's not... You know, I'm over 50, and back in the day, this wasn't something that people talked about. You know, they didn't think that animals necessarily had emotions even. You know, and I don't understand how you can have an animal live with it every day and think it doesn't have feelings. So, you know, it's not something that you go to your high school guidance counselor and say, you know, I really want to be a psychic. And they would say, okay, well, we're going to get you a little bit of special help. 
So there's, you know, not a lot of acceptance for that. And I think everybody has secret superpowers. You know, everybody's special in, a, in some way. This is mine. And I love sharing this with people. It took a while to be confident enough to say what I was seeing to other people. You know, that took, took a while. And I had a really good mentor. I had an amazing cat when I was in college who basically taught me how to do this. I don't really know how. I don't know why he picked me. But he could teach me. I would explain things. It's like, I saw, you know, this cat showed me this image. What does it mean? What was he saying to me? And he could, he could get that, and he could send it back to me. Hmm. So that really helped me refine my skills. What, was that Monster? No. <laughs> monster was earlier. Monster. Monster is my current cat. Oh, the current cat. Um, okay. <laughs> yes. And Monster is a very special needs kitty. And I think you learn from every animal that's in your life. She had distemper as a baby, which usually um, kills them. It's very hard for them to recover, but she has neurological problems. And her name is Monster because she is a biter. And the first night I had her, she bit me in the face while I was asleep. Wow. And she's been a challenge, but I I love her and I respect her and I learn from her every day. Mm. So your 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 cat when you were in college, and maybe this would be a good way for us to understand uh, how this works for you. Um, you so you're you're experiencing uh, communication from, say that you know this this. By the way, what's what's the cat's name? In college? His name was Cotton. Cotton. Okay. I didn't want to just call him the cat. So Cotton. So uh, you're experiencing what, what communication in ter- forms of pictures from Cotton? Yeah. I, I rarely hear an animal's voice. They don't think in language. So they experience their life through their senses and their emotion. And mm. it's not necessarily fair to compare an animal with a human child, but roughly speaking, a dog's intelligence, their problem solving and their language skills are like a two-year-old, and a cat is like an 18-month-old. That doesn't mean that they don't have interesting, complex lives, and they can share that with people. It's usually on the person's side of not being willing to receive it, or not understanding what they're getting. Mm. So Cotton um, was able to kind of take my natural gifts and help me shape them. He was very patient, and I would ask him questions, and he could help me understand them. When I'm getting information from an animal, it's almost like you know how when you're in a dream state and your mother appears to you as a tea kettle and you know it's her and you understand the message that she's giving you? You may not remember it when you wake up, but at that moment you understand it. Hmm. That's kind of like how I get information from animals. Hmm. And Cotton really helped me learn how to ask them questions so that it's more of a conversation instead of just a reception. Now, you made reference to this, and I, I could imagine, um, you know, you, certain circles, and especially back in the day, um, 
this would not have been received very well if you say, hey, I'm a pet psychic. Yeah, um, I think that's changing. I think people are appreciating their animals more. I think they are, um, in general, treating them more like individuals instead of objects. And, yeah, I, I do get some pushback, and I think skepticism is healthy. I think, you know, if you believe everything somebody tells you, you probably need a few more boundaries. So I like people to ask questions. And I believe that anybody that loves animals has some ability to communicate with them. Now, do you, do you, you also made reference to this a little bit earlier as well. Do you feel like the, the research, the, you know, the, the writing, the books that you see, uh, I, I feel it's this way, that uh, th- there's much more nowadays on animals' emotions where it didn't used to be that way. Yeah, yeah, I think that is um, something that we are, we're able to ask better questions scientifically and personally. And yeah, the animals are very complex. And, um, you know, even though, like you say, a dog has the mentality of a two-year-old, most two-year-olds can't herd sheep. You know, an 18-month-old child isn't very good at catching mice. So animals have amazing intelligence, but it's not necessarily human intelligence. Hmm. And there's a lot of great research, and there's a lot of people that are um, asking great questions. You know, I think people like Mark Beckoff, Jane Goodall, have really influenced the way we think about animals. Hmm. Uh, you've said, I love this quote, you say, many people function on autopilot in their relationship with their animals. But you yep. say by reading the book, uh, by the way, uh, humans think, animals feel. We're talking with Patty Raymond. Uh, by reading the book, doing the exercises, you will have taken steps toward a more conscious partnership. And I think we uh, we do that human to human, right? We put, put our relationships on autopilot. Yeah, and autopilot helps us a lot. And that's one thing that, you know, this coronavirus with social distancing has made us stop being on autopilot. We have to be really aware of who we're talking to, what we're doing, where we're going, how we're interacting. And I think that's affecting our relationships with our animals, too. And, you know, humans, in the morning when you're getting ready to go to work, you have a routine. And the way you get out the door is to just follow that routine without thinking about it. Now we don't have a routine. Now Now we actually do have to think about it. A lot of times animals are very emotionally astute, and they know when you're checked out. And they love us, and animals want their people to be happy and healthy, but that does not stop them from playing us like fools. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> A lot of times animals can be very manipulative. They're very focused on getting what they want. And a lot of times I do readings, and the dog or the cat is running the whole household. So people allow that, and it's not necessarily healthy for the people or the animals. Mm. So getting off of autopilot can be a really big key to improving your relationships with animals and other people. I want to come back to some questions specifically about the uh, the latest, the pandemic, and how that's affecting our animals. Uh, we'll have uh, three psychic readings during the hour. That has to be prepped ahead of time. Uh, Patty needs uh, photographs ahead of time. Uh, so here's the question, uh, Patty, from uh, Karen. Karen says, good morning. 
I'd like to know why our American Bulldog Boxer Mix, 12-year-old dog Kiara, pushes her full food dish away from its normal place, then leaves it. She doesn't eat it at, uh, at uh, eat it, uh, she doesn't eat it at that time. So the American uh, Bulldog Boxer Mix, a 12-year-old Kiara, pushes her full food dish away from its normal place and then leaves it, doesn't eat it at that time. She, um, without having a picture, I can't tell you exactly what her reason is, but sometimes dogs and cats, if they have experienced like food insecurity at some point during their life, they didn't get enough food or they had to really compete with other animals for food, will save their food for later. They may be very hungry, but they're like, I can't eat my food right now. Some animals are pickers. You know, they, they snack throughout the whole day, and some of them will eat their food in three seconds. If it's not affecting her food intake, it may just be kind of a peculiar little thing she does. I've seen dogs and cats that will take like dirty underwear or socks or their toys and put it in their food bowl. And that's the same kind of thing. It's just a little little loop in her head like, oh, I have food, but I can't eat it now. I'm saving it. And if it's not like affecting her food intake, like I said, she's you know maintaining a good weight. It's just kind of a peculiar little thing, and it can be kind of fun. If it's something that is affecting her, you know, that would be something that we could definitely work on in a reading and find out some specifics and come up with some ways to solve that problem. All right. Uh, Thanks for that, uh, Karen. Appreciate that. By the way, we're talking, if you just joined us, with Patty Raymond. Uh, She was born with the ability to communicate with animals. She's helped thousands of people resolve many types of uh, issues with their animal companions, and her book uh, is out. It's called Humans Think, Animals Feel, Finding Common Ground Between You and Your Animal Companions. Uh, And uh, the website, by the way, is pattypetpsychic.com, pattypetpsychic.com. By the way, uh, Patty Raymond, there's a very cute picture. I assume this is you with your dog when you're, I don't know, 10 or 12 or something? (laughs) That that was me when I was six years old. Oh, six, okay. um, Yeah. That was that was my dog Cinder, and I loved her very much. And um, that's probably my favorite picture of me when I was a kid. Yeah, yeah, it's very very cute. Well, we have, like I say, we, we have uh, three uh, psychic readings that we have prepped uh, for this hour. This will be a real treat. So the first, uh, are, are you ready, uh, uh, Patty Raymond? Uh, we have uh, our listener uh, Pat uh, on the line. Oh, okay. Uh, Hi, Pat. Hi. How are you? Pat, uh, thanks. So you have... Thanks for joining go us. Ahead. Uh, go ahead, Patty. And you, you had some questions about your dog Lily, right? Yes. Yeah. Um, and she. I'm sorry. Go ahead. She's twelve. Twelve year old lab, right? Yes. Okay. So, and, what was your question um, for her? She. Um, we had a lot of problems with her and in the past like month and a half basically she seems uncomfortable um she's moaning a lot twitching a lot and we have done a ton of tests we just can't figure out where the pain is and i'm wondering if you could help us figure out you know where her where is she hurting yeah um she is 
she is a really, really sweet dog. And her pain level is a four on a scale of one to ten. Okay. And it's pretty constant. And four is when pain starts interfering with your life. Mm-hmm. So this is something that's like in her jaw and her throat. And oh. it's I I don't think it's neurological. It may, and I don't think she has, like, something stuck in her throat. It's just, like, it might be something almost like acid reflux. And okay. it's pretty constant, and she she hides it from you as much as she can. She's pretty tough. So it's not... Um, it's not something that is structurally wrong, but it makes it hard for her to swallow. And she doesn't have, like, a dislocated jaw. And I don't think it's neurological pain. It doesn't seem to be worse when she eats. It's kind of constant. Okay. And then so, that would make sense because her, the other question I had was she doesn't want to drink water. We have to soak her food in water to make her drink any kind of water. She's, it's hard for her to swallow. So I would elevate her bowls. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you can buy a, a stand that holds them up higher or put them on a stack of books or on a low yeah. bench or something like that. So she's not, like, she, when she's drinking water in particular, she's almost bent in half. Mm-hmm. And that makes the swallowing even harder. So if you can get her standing upright a little better, that's going to help because she's chronically dehydrated. And okay. putting, you know, making her food soupy is good. Yeah. There's something about um, the taste of the water she doesn't like. Do you have it in a metal bowl? No, it's in a ceramic bowl. Try a metal bowl and... Try um, giving her some filtered water if you can. Okay. Um, is, yeah, there's something about. Do you have well water by chance, or is there? Are you on city water? We're on city water. It's, yeah, it's actually good water, I think. But yeah, um, we'll try it. Yeah, and there's something. Um, there's something I would definitely work with your vet on, and it's it's. You know, running from her jaw through her through her throat and into her upper chest, but it's not her digestive system. So, um, you know, it's going to take a little bit of research. But you know, structurally, she's pretty good. Her body's not falling apart. Labs tend to have you know bad hips, and sometimes her knees go out. And you've kept her a nice weight. So, I think that's kind of where you need to look on that and get as much water in her as you can. If it um, comes down to it, you can flavor it with, you know, beef broth, chicken broth, you know, just so it tastes a little bit different. Right. right. You bet. You bet. Well, great. Thank you so much. You bet. So thank you, Pat. Okay. Appreciate it. <laughs> thank you. Yep. Thank you. All right. Yeah. Good luck. Good luck. Uh, so uh, that was, that was, that was great, Patty. That's, uh, that is that how it usually goes? I, I guess if you're in, you, you know, you're doing a quote unquote regular reading, it's uh, probably longer than that. Yeah. And it's, um, 
you know, people always have questions about their animals. And there are, you know, physical, mental, emotional needs that animals have, and they they can all interact. So I don't do readings like, you know, in, you know, your dog's going to live to be, you know, 27 years old, and he he really wants to go to Bali. You know, that's really not how animals think. So I do a lot of very practical problem-solving, helping people make their lives with their animals better. Mm. And do you emphasize that uh, you, you don't replace the veterinarian, right? So you'd urge people to, if there's a health problem, take it to the vet, right? Yeah, there's, you know, sometimes I recommend things like chiropractic. Sometimes I recommend acupuncture. Sometimes it's a change in diet. And there are some things that, you know, you really do need to take the vet, the dog to the vet for. I occasionally get people who have a very sick animal and they'll get in contact with me and I'm like, you know, get them, get them in. That's the most important thing right now. And that's kind of a challenge with the coronavirus. I mean, my vet have, has closed their lobby. So they will come out and get the animal from you and take it in and then bring it back out after the procedure. They're not doing any elective surgery right now, so no spays and neuters. They're still doing vaccinations. You know, and it's important for the vet staff and for you to stay healthy. So if you do need to take your animal in, call them first. Find out their hours. Find out what their procedure is. If you need to get prescriptions or specialty food, call that in first. Hmm. Uh, before we go to break, I'd like to uh, revisit what we said earlier in the hour about, uh, I guess this can be an opportunity for uh, people and their animal companions, uh, you know, the, the pandemic, social distancing, uh, to do a reset with your relationships. Take it off of autopilot. What, what else would you say about uh, how, to, how to do that? Um, it's, everything's different. You know, animals respond to people's stress. You know, and they can manifest that. Sometimes animals are thrilled that you're home. Sometimes they're not because they have a routine and they sleep all day while you're at work or play with their dog friends or do their own thing. And then you're home and you're messing that up. Some of them are like, Mom, you're home every single minute. I can't believe it. I'm so lucky. And you still have to use your brain to entertain their brain. And this is a great time to do some training. You know, teach your dog some tricks. You can teach cats tricks. It's not the same as training a dog, but it can really be fun. Um, This is a great time to practice obedience with your dog. If your dog has poor manners, go online, get an obedience training class, and learn some new things. You know, really spend some quality time with them. Most of them are very interested in one-on-one time right now. And if you have multiple animals, you need to figure out how to do that. There are lots of things in your routine that may not be beneficial for your animal. It's a great time to get them out, get them exercise. It's fun. You know, the weather's getting nice. It's nice to take your dog out and do something normal. But keep their routine as much as it used to be as possible. Animals hate change. Humans hate change, too. We talk about it a lot, but we don't really want it. 
um, you know, right now is a great time to reinforce the house rules. You know, if it's not okay for the cat to get on the counter, this is a really good time to enforce that. Um, you know, if it's not okay for the dog to beg for snacks all day, yeah, you can put some restrictions on that and say, okay, you get fed at, you know, 6 in the morning, at 6 at night, and I'm going to say no to giving you snacks all day. And, you know, animals really want us to be happy and healthy. And when we're not, they pick that up, and a lot of times they will put that right back in your face. So they can be driving you nuts. The best thing I can say is, you know, exercise your dog, play with your cat, give them one-on-one time, and enjoy the experience of spending time with them. There's, there are some opportunities for joy in this time. Hmm. And animals give us a lot of companionship. They give us a lot of reasons to not focus on things. It's kind of relaxing to go out and throw the ball with your dog and not think about anything else for a while. You know, you can play laser pointer with your cat. You can uh, use opportunities to teach them things. I think it's fun to train tricks, and it's not like they have to do the trick. It's just kind of a fun way to spend time with them. And, you know, respect their their space. You know, maybe your dog doesn't want to spend 24-7 with you. Maybe he wants to go lay in his bed and get some sleep. And that's okay. Let him do that. But, you know, make some... Uh, Make some effort to setting boundaries. You know, if you're on a Zoom call at work and your dog drops a slimy tennis ball on your lap, you're not going to look terribly professional. <laughs> so maybe that's a good time for the dog to be outside or on a walk with somebody else in the household. And, you know, enjoy them. Have fun with them. Yeah, great, great advice. Uh, we're talking with Patty Raymond. Uh, she is author of the book Humans Think Animals Feel, and that is out and available uh, also, the website is pattypetpsychic.com, pattypetpsychic.com. We have Patty for the hour, and uh, she is doing some psychic readings. Well, the next one will come up following the break. We have Kate on the line, uh, so that'll happen right after the break. We'll have more following this break. Did you know that your student may already be in a program that prepares kids for college? The Gear Up grant from the U.S. Department of Education provides funds that allow middle and high school students to get a taste for university education. The program targets schools where more than half of the student body is on free or reduced lunch plans, giving low-income students access to college that might not otherwise be available. Students begin in seventh grade and remain with the program into their first year in college. This segment of Did You Know That has been brought to you by our members and the Emma Eccles-Jones College of Education and Human Services, committed to mentoring tomorrow's educators, researchers, and clinicians, located on campuses in Logan and 26 other sites throughout Utah. Today's Access Utah episode was first broadcast in April. Thanks for listening to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. Our guest for the hour is Patty Raymond. She was born with the ability to communicate with animals, and she's helped thousands of people 
resolve many types of behavior, health, attitude, and relationship issues with their animal companions. Her book, Animals Think, uh, or Humans Think, rather, Animals Feel, Finding Common Ground Between You and Your Animal Companions, is an exploration of the human-animal bond. Um, through stories, exercises, and practical examples, Raymond shows how our actions, thoughts, and emotions affect our animals' behaviors. She says, once you understand how to think like your animal friends, you can build satisfying partnerships uh, with them. And uh, the website is uh, pattypetpsychic.com. Uh, so we have another um, psychic reading uh, prepped, and I believe we have Kate on the line. Kate, welcome to the program. Thanks, Tom. Hi, Patty. How are you guys doing? Doing well. Hi, Kate. So you sent me some pictures of your mini Aussie Finnegan. How old is Finnegan? Yep. He is four years old, almost four and a half, actually. Okay. Um, he is... Um, he is a very smart dog, and he is very good at getting you to give him what he wants. <laughs> He's, yeah, um, <laughs> so what were your questions for him? Um, so some, some, some more general questions, I guess. Um, is there anything that's causing him discomfort or pain that I should know about but don't? Not really. I mean, his pain was a two, which is pretty normal for a young dog, and it's mostly uh, just muscle soreness. I think when you take him out and you go hiking, he overdoes it, oh. and he comes home and he's sore, and that's not really unusual. You know, that um, is just his personality, and he would learn to self-limit that if it really bothered him. But he just, mm, he's a okay. goer. You know, he likes to go do stuff. That is true. <laughs> um, and then also, just kind of wondering if he has any allergies. Um, he gets itchy ears, and I'm not sure if it's just because he has long fur or if he has some allergies that we don't know about. He has some food intolerances. I, I wouldn't say they're full-on allergies, but there's some foods that are less healthy for him. And I think he also has um, seasonal pollen allergies. You know, he just, yeah. the, the, the grass and the flowers just irritate him, especially this time of year. Um, I did a little muscle testing on him for some foods, and it's not, it's not like scientific allergy testing. It's mm -hmm. based on um, the energy of the food, if that, agrees with his energy or not. And I would avoid poultry with him. So no oh, really? chicken, turkey, That's duck. like one of his favorite things usually. I will look into that. Um, he's great on red meat. So he's good on, you know, beef and pork and lamb, rabbit, um, venison. He's okay on fish. And I would avoid um, soy beans and peas with him and that's kind of showing up in a lot of like grain-free food right now he's okay on rice he can eat rice and you know oats and potatoes sweet potatoes but he's not good on corn and wheat okay so i would say go with a um, pretty simple food with him like a lamb and rice maybe or a fish and rice if you give him 
something like salmon oil. Salmon oil is great for dogs. It's going to bring out the red in his coat. And a lot of times if you straighten out the, the food, your infections clear up. Okay. So I would start there. And I think just, you know, eliminate poultry for a while. takes about six weeks to see an effect. And it doesn't mean that he can't eat, you know, chicken forever. He may, you know, in six months, you may be able to reintroduce it. But I'd give him a break from the poultry and the corn and wheat. Okay, cool. And then uh, my last question is, um, are there any activities that he particularly enjoys doing with me that we can maybe do a little bit more of? He thinks of himself as your partner. You are, you are socially equal. So um, he's pretty game for just about everything. And try new stuff, you know, new hiking trails or, um, you know, take him swimming, take him out and let him, you know, hide a couple bones in the backyard and let him find them. So he's always up for something new. And he doesn't really have a favorite. He loves going with you anywhere, even going, you know, on a little drive in the car is fun. But he really likes kind of the um, when the game is over. Like, you know, you've been out hiking, doing exciting, fun stuff all day, and then you come home and just kind of relax and you just hang out together. That's what he really loves. That's when you really bond and that's, kind of the best part of the adventure is the end. Mm. Well, that's really cool. Thank you very much for your insight. He's a fun dog, and, you know, mm-hmm. enjoy him, but don't let him push you around. He's got a pretty strong personality. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> well, that, thanks, Kate. Appreciate that. Thank you. Hope that was helpful. Um, let's see, we have, uh, in a, just a minute or two, we'll go to our next reading, which would be Shalane. Um, uh, this question came in by email. Beth says, most pet owners have faced the decision of having to humanely euthanize their pet. We just let our 16-year-old dog go because we felt he was telling us that it was time. Is it true that an animal can telegraph that information to us, or are we pet owners just trying to justify our tough decision? That's Beth's question. What do you think, Betty? That's a great question, and I deal with end-of-life stuff a lot. Um, Because you love them so much, you're always biased with your own animals. And I believe there is a little window of opportunity between the end of quality of life and the beginning of suffering. And most people choose to euthanize their animal right in that window. I would say 99% of the people that I work with do it at exactly the right time. And it is one of the hardest things you will ever do, and it is also one of the most compassionate. You know, animals give us so much throughout their life, and it's kind of our tax almost to let them have a peaceful and dignified passing. So, you know, trust your instincts on that. And it's, animals really 
do seem to be able to tell that to their people. A lot of times you, you really do see the light just go out of their eyes and you know that the quality of their life is not there for them anymore. Even if they're old and not necessarily well or have mobility issues, they still can take a lot of joy in living. You know, they like their food, they like their nap, they like spending time with their people. And it's hard for us when we look at that and say, you know, two years ago we were going on five-mile hikes every day, and now we can barely walk down to the mailbox. So we're using our human judgment on them. They're just experiencing their life. It may be a much smaller life. It may be very different from the way it was, but they're still taking joy in that. And I think that's really important. And when that joy stops, that's when it's time to say goodbye. And it's never easy. You can have a hundred animals and it's never easy. It's different every time. But sometimes I think that's one of the kindest and most compassionate things that we do as pet owners is to let them go when they're ready. Hmm. Hope that's helpful, Beth. Thanks for that question. Let's go next to uh, Shalane. We have Shalane on the line, I believe. Or, or hi, Shalane. Uh, hi, hi, Shalane. <laughs> uh, you, I'm on the air now, huh? Yes, Great. yes. Uh, you you sent uh, you sent a photo of uh, of of your cat, I think. Yes, uh, his name is Dorian, and as I put in my question, um, he is nicknamed Houdini because he gets in so many different scrapes, and he usually comes out of those in one piece. However, recently. He um, had an accident. We're not sure what, how he did it, but he broke the three front bones in his paw. Ugh. And so now he is confined in a cast on his front leg, and he he's still eating and drinking normally, but he does seem pretty down. So I just kind of want to know about his uh, what he's going through emotionally, maybe, and also what we can do to help cheer him up. During this hard time, yeah. does that let us know that we need to confine him to an area just so he doesn't get near the stairs? He is a really smart kitty, and he's he's adventure cat, and he hates his cast. He hates the cast. It's the only thing he cannot escape, and he is like, the cast is like prison to him. So he is... He's frustrated with it. There's not a lot that you can do until it's ready to come off. You can spend a lot of time okay. with him, um, you know, brush him, tell him he's beautiful. Um, you know, he's going to be taking that cast off is going to be a challenge, Um because his frustration is going to override the pain. This pain level is about a three, which is pretty good because cat's feet are incredibly sensitive. Okay, and, I wondered about he, that as well, if he's in a lot of pain with it. It's not, I wouldn't say that's a lot, but like you can tell a two degree temperature difference with your fingers. A cat can tell a tenth of a degree difference. So that's how sensitive okay. his paws are. So just even breaking bones in his feet 
would have been excruciating. So being at a three and being in the cast is okay. When that cast comes off, he's going to be like, yay, I'm free. I can run and jump and fly. And oh, he's good. going he, to he gets ignore to have the it off in about a week, a little bit over a week, but it's been about a month and a half ordeal. Uh, for Kat, that's an eternity. And they don't see yes. that it's ever going to end. They can't really project the future. So reassure him, you know, that he's doing the right thing. He's healing up. He's doing a really good job. But when that cast comes off, he is going to, he's going to be weak, but he's also going to push it really hard. Um, I would talk to your vet about kind of reducing his pain med before the cast comes off because the pain is going to stop him from overusing it. He's going to be so exuberant that it's off and that he's free. He's going to go nuts. And the only thing that's going to limit that is you're going to have to still keep him confined. He's going to be really weak. But he needs that pain to kind of balance the joy. (laughs) Oh, sure. And and you know what? You're so right. He is a very smart cat, and he's very adventurous, and he's not afraid of anything. So that's kind of dangerous, too. Yeah. Because he wants to get into everything, and he's not afraid to to give it a try, even though, you know... it's probably not a good idea at the time. He just thinks, I'm going to go for it anyway. So, yeah, he's he's always been a handful that way, but we just love him. He's a very sweet cat, too. Well, you don't want him, like, zipping out the door and chasing a squirrel up the tree and then jumping down because he could right. do that. So I would, you know, keep him confined when the cast comes off and play games with him where he has to reach out with his paws to get stuff. Okay. So, you know, if he's in, if he's in a crate, set up some, um, some food just outside the crate. So he has to reach out and get it with his paws. Or, um, you know, he, he's in his crate and you have get a laser pointer and it's going back and forth and he's got to swat at it. So he's got to okay. just kind of do his own physical therapy with that. And it's like reaching and pulling and getting his toes to flex is going to be really important with that. And his coming off of the cast is going to be equally as frustrating as having the cast. So you're going to have to be really on him, really monitoring, like, how much time he has out walking. And he may, you know, be out in the house for 15 minutes and it's like, okay, back in your cage, but I'm going to give you some really good ear scratches and a belly rub and lots of kisses and tell you how handsome you are. And then you're going to go back in your cage and, you know, maybe I'm going to put a little treat outside your cage so you have to reach through it as your reward for going back in. Okay. So he's yeah, going to need a lot of rehab. I could let him run out and run free after he had his cast off, but that, that's really oh. good information. <laughs> well, yeah, the- I don't think that's going to be the right thing for him, at least for the first week or so. Oh, I'm I'm very glad to know that. Thank you. Because yeah, he's um, he's a, he is a really fun cat, and he's I love he black is cats. fun. He's a sweetheart. We're just crazy <laughs> about him, and we're pampering him now for sure. <laughs> well, and, you know, if you want to teach him some tricks, that'd be fun. He would. That'd be a good you know what? I'll try that. That sounds like fun. fun. That, we'll that. see how it goes. I'm not sure if it will work with him, but I would love to give it a try. Yeah, t- t- let us know if that happens. <laughs> Thank you, Shalane. I, I will. 
I will for sure. Appreciate, uh, appreciate that, Shalane, and and good Thank luck with so good, good luck I with Dorian. It. Thank you. Uh, well, Patty, we have a couple more questions that have come in to upraccess at gmail.com. We want to get these in for the top of the hour. About five minutes for these, so we'll have to be kind of quick, but hopefully we can uh, get you, get your answers for these. Uh, first up is uh, Blanche. Uh, Blanche is, says, I usually have custody of my grand puppy. She's very high strung and barks like crazy, especially when friends are here. She's about seven years old and a small, medium terrier mix, we've been told. My husband and I adore her but she can be extremely trying. How can we help her uh, stop the excessive barking? Um, carriers are intense dogs, and they, are, they were bred to bark, and they love it. They, are, they like to chase stuff. Um, training not barking is a challenge, and it takes quite a bit of effort. And I do detail that in my book, Humans Think, Animals Feel. It's available on Amazon. I go into that in quite a bit of detail. Um, probably in the short term, I would say more exercise. Exercise is kind of the universal dog drug, and a tired dog is a good dog. If she has been out playing ball and running and really using her body before friends come over, she may bark at them a little bit but then she's going to be tired and want to go take a nap. So it does take, it is something that you can work on, but it does take quite a bit of effort. It's not a quick fix. And everybody in the house has to kind of be on the same page about how you correct barking. Mm. But like I said, I do go into that in quite a bit of detail in my book. Great. Uh, And I was going to ask you uh, where to get the book. Amazon, I guess, good place. Amazon is the uh, is where it's at. Um, there are a few bookstores in Salt Lake that carry it. It's at King's English and Sam Weller, but Amazon is um, Amazon is our lifeline right now. So that's that's the best place to access it. Okay, and we'll we'll plug those other bookstores as well. They need our help. Uh, Weller Bookworks and. Uh... And the King's English. Uh, it's the the book is called uh, "Humans Think, Animals Feel," and the author is Patty Raymond. Uh, the website, by the way, is uh, pattypetpsychic.com. So, Patty, we just have about a minute and a half for this one. Hopefully, you can get an answer in. This is a question from Michelle, uh, who says, "Hi, Patty. I have two dogs. The late comer is always barking and jostling with the old guy. The old guy waits for an opportune time to attach, then does, but he is not uh, very effective as he has no front teeth. But he's a body slammer, and he's strong. Then the latecomer barks and swirls around to tell us, quote-unquote, all about it. We give both dogs much love and sweet talk, but get very stern when the above scenario comes up. We all want peace. Do you have any suggestions? Um, separate them. Um and use your human skills of observation to see when the rodeo is going to get started. There's always an antecedent. Somebody's egging somebody on. Somebody's teasing somebody. Somebody's staring. If you can intercept that before it starts, it gives you a lot of control. And it's a mistake to treat two dogs equally, especially if they're different social status and ages. So, you know, the newcomer may get, more exercise, longer walks, more frequent walks, so less likely to engage. And the older dog may get more one-on-one time. It's 
that's the kind of dynamic that I usually work with in a reading. Uh, so, Patty Raymond, um, best place to reach you, I guess, if people are interested in your services, would that be your website? Yep, you can go on the website. Um, somebody told me the other day it had a glitch on it. If that doesn't work, you can just email me directly. It's pattypetpsychic at msn.com. And, yeah, right now I'm not doing home readings, obviously. I'm doing lots of phone readings, and I'd love to get some of your listeners straightened out with their pets. Okay, wonderful. Uh, pattypetpsychic.com uh, is the website. Uh, you said pattypetpsychic at msn.com? Yep, that's my email. You email, can email okay. me directly. Email directly. And the book is uh, Humans Think, Animals Feel, and that's available at your bookstores or on Amazon. Well, uh, Patty Raymond, always a pleasure. Thank you so much. Enjoyed it, Tom. Thanks, thanks for having me. Thank you, and thanks for listening to Access Utah. Next up, it's Bread and Butter, a culinary chronicle with Tanya Gibson. We've discussed before writing down recipes as a form of familial oral history. We keep close those things that tie us to those before and those things we want to share with those after. We have stories and memories around certain foods. We hold them close and almost airy reverence as we prepare or share those dishes that are as much part of us as any other part of our history. At what point does sharing recipes add or subtract to that history? What makes a recipe unique to a person or family? Several of my favorite go-to dishes originated with friends and neighbors, roommates and people I grew up with. Does this simply add to the history of the dish? Do you add a note on where you got the recipe and the relationship you shared? Do you name it after the person? Or do you simply file it and it becomes adapted as your own. I have often been amazed at those who freely share recipes. My husband is one of them. I'm a little more stingy. I give recipes out begrudgingly, out of a sense of obligation, almost. I pass it on because I feel it's socially acceptable to do so, but I give great pause before I let go. The one exception is close friends. I share openly and frequently without any pause there. What is the difference? I'm sure that would be an insightful hour with my therapist, should I want to fully explore it. My favorite brownie recipe came from a girl named Jane. She was an acquaintance of a friend of a friend, or something along those lines. We lived near one another anyway, and one day we were at a potluck gathering of some sort. She brought her brownies. They were, quite frankly, divine. Everyone immediately wanted the recipe, and as I think back on it now, she seemed a little reluctant, but still wrote it out for all of us. Jane's Irresistible Brownies. Was the Jane on there, or am I just misremembering? I think it might have been. Over the years, her original moved and morphed into several books and recipe filing systems. It now resides in a book of extended family favorites with the simple title, irresistible brownies the jane having either never been there or dropped along the way they get made infrequently anymore but are still beloved and sought after anytime i take them to a gathering myself but the recipe i keep it close rarely sharing 
Part of me doesn't want to betray the memory of the originator, although at this point it occurs to me that maybe she wasn't the originator at all, and it was simply a recipe she, herself, had gotten along the way from a friend of a friend of an acquaintance. But part of me also wants to keep that dark, rich, brownie goodness simply to myself. I've seen media that plays recipe keeping as some sort of state secret, covert operation hive between warring housewives. But is that right? Is my need to closely guard my brownie recipe steeped in stereotype and decades-old tradition? Or is it more along the lines of not wanting to give away what isn't technically mine and my deep reverence for copyright? Or is that just a cover, something I tell myself, for my deeply buried desire to come up out on top of some mythical brownie grudge match that never quite happens? I taught my husband how to bake bread. He now makes all of the bread in our house, taking to it quite like I never did. He spends hours in the kitchen trying different recipes and techniques. He perfects one and then continues to tweak it better. Over the years, his bread has evolved and surpassed anything I've ever turned out. Honestly, it's been so long now that I'm not sure I could turn a loaf at all. And while time and distance has been such that I eagerly await his last creation to come out of the oven and cool ever so slightly before indulging, I remember the sting of being surpassed at first. It's hard to admit when someone takes something of yours and not only replicates it, but improves on it. Well, it's tough up until you sink your teeth into that glorious slice of carbs or buttery square of brownie anyway. So maybe I should share Jane's brownies. I know I have people around me that could keep me in a supply while I eschew all the work. How about you? Are you a recipe sharer or a secret keeper? This is Tanya Gibson for Bread and Butter. You're listening to Utah Public Radio, a statewide service of Utah State University and the College of Humanities and Social Sciences. KUSR Logan, KUSK Vernal, KUSL Richfield, KUST Moab, KCEU Price, KUSU FM Logan, and also heard at upr.org.